America. Bonjour. Hi, Canada. It's Hugh Hewitt. And music means it's time for the Hillsdale Dialogue. Once a week, Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, and or Dean Matt Spaulding of Hillsdale College, and I join together with other members of the Hillsdale faculty and community to go big and to go back and to do topics that have you know, been around for a long time, say 1,500, 2,500 years. But this week, we're going back to a long-ago era when the United States allowed discussion and when documents of the government were not Orwellian-like erased. We're going back two weeks to the publication of the 1776 report by the President's 1776 Commission, which has been erased by the Biden administration. The chairman of the President's Advisory 1776 Commission is none other than Dr. Larry Arne, President of Hillsdale College, himself a sponsor of this program, and Dean Matt Spaulding, Dean of Hillsdale College and the Executive Director of the 1776 Commission. I believe they are both free. I believe they are still uh, uh, not uh, in any kind of uh, uh, detention by the Biden administration, but it may only be a matter of time. Uh, Dr. Arn, are you all right? Are you free? Uh, well, I'm not free, but I'm at large. You are at large. <laughs> Matt Spaulding, are you at large? Uh, I, I am, and I, I would note that, that the two of us can never be together very long because that might uh, jeopardize the security of the principles of power. I do not want you two carrying cell phones because given what I've been reading about big tech, they'll find you. All right, what I want to do in this hour is tell people what happened uh, and what's in the 1776 report. So, Dr. Arndt, I would like you to begin with you with your just your recollection of how the 1776 Advisory Commission came to be. Well, a few weeks before Constitution Day, September 17, uh, the president, you know, on advice from various people and his own volition, wanted to do a big celebration of Constitution Day. President Trump. Sorry. Then President Trump. Yes. Yeah. I may be saying President Lincoln here in a minute, and uh, pining for the old days. And he, he wanted to do a big thing, and it's been a theme of his, his Mount Rushmore speech. But right from the beginning, he's a patriotic American, is how he presents himself, thinks of himself, I think. So uh, they, got, they did two things that were remarkable. They formed an academic panel to talk about the American Revolution and the Constitution. I was chairman of that. And then President Trump came in and gave a talk. Sorry, Mike Pence came in and gave a talk. Then President Trump came in and talked. And I thought they were both very good talks. And I loved the thing itself because I thought, uh, you know, my teacher, Harry Jaffa, he was always calling for a scholarship of the politics of freedom. So you'd have to have the politics of freedom, but it would have to be undergirded with some knowledge. And so I thought that was an attempt to bring those two things together. And then shortly after, several of us were asked, would we serve on this commission? And, uh, I, you know, I would, have a- I would have answered that question, yes, to Joe Biden, if he asked it of me. It's unthinkable, but if he did, I would. And, uh, and so we agreed, and uh, eventually I was appointed the chairman, and then Matthew, who works in Washington, D.C., and yet somehow has kept his sanity so far, uh, he was appointed executive director so we could get to work. And, uh, you know, it was about four weeks, I think, by the time we got formed and got to work, and we produced a report. 
which raises one of the main charges against the commission, it's an example of government efficiency. (laughs) (laughs) You know, speaking of which, in California yesterday, the government gave up trying to distribute the vaccine and asked Blue Shield to come in and distribute it because it is an example of government efficiency. So, Dr. Arndt, who else was on the commission with you? Well, the vice chairman was uh, Carol Swain, and uh, then there was Charles Kessler and Victor Hansen. You know, those guys happen to be great minds, and deeply knowledgeable about what the commission is about. And then there were, you know, uh, the president of the College of the Ozarks, Jerry Davis, was on it. And uh, trying to Matt, name some names. Uh, former Governor Phil Bryant, uh, Mike Ferris with Homeschool Legal Defense Fund, um, uh, Peter Kersenow with the Civil Rights Commission, um, uh, uh, Tom Lindsay, who's with Texas Public Policy, I believe, uh, uh, and then some other uh, uh, people who's actively involved in, in American politics, Bob McEwen and Ned Ryan. And, and how often uh, did the kids. commission meet, virtually or, because this is the era of virtual meeting, virtually or in person? So there was so, one in-person meeting with the president in the cabinet room. Uh, and there were, oh, Betsy DeVos and, and uh, 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 Ben Carson from the, from the cabinet were on the commission. Okay. And Mike Pompeo. Uh, uh, yeah, Mike. Who, oh, yeah, Pompeo. Uh, we have several ex officio members on there as well. Yeah, he, he's a power. Uh, so uh, we met once, but we met. Uh, we met the first time we met. We met three times. No, we met four times. I think um, the first time we met, we met semi virtually. Some of us were in the room, and some of us were on the phone. Uh, every time we met, we met with many on the phone. Uh, and then we met, and the meetings are public, by the way, so the New York Times and the Associated Press and lots of press were on the call, and they were all there anxiously waiting for reasons to praise us. And, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and the second time we met, it was a big meeting. That was the one where just about everybody was involved, some virtually, and that was in the cabinet room. And then, did we have three or four meetings, Matt? Well, actually, we, we only had two. <laughs> we had two official meetings. Uh, um, it, it turns out that we put this thing together, but as, as referring to government uh, efficiencies, uh, there are all sorts of rules about how you can conduct these meetings. So the full meet, the full board could only meet twice uh, because we couldn't otherwise collaborate under the rules of such commissions. Yeah. Uh, the the chairman, the vice chairman, the executive director, we we could work together because we had to run the agenda and figure out what we're doing and think about that. But you are referring to the Federal Advisory Committee Act, with which I am unfortunately familiar from my time in the Reagan administration. It's a nightmare, and it actually works to stop people from discussing important issues. But there are ways to conduct the commission's business, and it sounds to me as though you did that, Matt. No, and it, it's yeah. I, I spent probably a good portion of time. I, I went. I took leave from Hillsdale to do this full time in um, uh, early December, um, and you know I spent a good portion of my time you know working on a report and, and writing and editing, but also talking to those to make sure we were doing things according to all the FACA rules and and getting this thing actually through the bureaucratic uh, mess. 
No, I hold in my hand the 1776 report. For those of people watching on the Hugh Hewitt YouTube channel, there it is. It is available at hillsdale.edu. You can download it. I believe it will become a touchstone of sound education in civics for every American homeschooler and for every serious high school, though perhaps there may be counter-reports to it. However, there will be, at least among serious people, careful attention to the arguments it makes because it is concise and it is accurate. Dr. Arn, do you agree with me? Yeah. Uh, you know, Matthew's been working night and day the last few days. It's amazing. Ever since this came up, I've been getting a lot of work out of Matthew. It's amazing to me. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he's been writing footnotes. And uh, because we, you know, we could have footnoted it. And we, you know, because everything in it is traceable to an important source that we know. But we decided to stick them in. And, uh, and so uh, the, the, most of the footnotes are to quotations from the actors involved in the founding of America. But the most delicious ones to me are to, you know, leading historians and their work. Because it come to find out the main assertions in the, uh, in the 1776 Commission report, I'll list them, is that slavery, uh, America is the first nation sounded, uh, founded according to the universal, uh, any universal principle, but the universal principle of human equality that because of that, slavery was immediately cast into a bad light, that they didn't know what to do about it, that the places, in the, especially the South, where there were lots of slaves, in the North there were slaves, but not as many, they didn't know, what, they, they didn't know how, there's no example of different races living together as equal citizens. What are we going to do about this? And so they began to work on it. And in the first 60 years of the Union, they abolished slavery in more than 60% of the Union. And they provided that the first time the Union grow, grew into the Northwest Territory, the most distinguished part of which is Michigan, not Ohio, uh, the, the, there'd be, never be any slavery. And never Stand be. by, America. More on what the essence of the 1776 report says and why it has so upset the left. When we return to the Hugh Hewitt Show and the Hillsdale Dialogue, everything Hillsdale is at hillsdale.edu. Stay tuned. Somewhere in the world, news is happening. You'll hear it here first, but only if you're here when Hugh Hewitt continues. Welcome back, America. I'm Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, Dr. Matthew Spaulding, who is the dean of Hillsdale College's Kirby uh, Graduate School in Washington, D.C. Gentlemen, serendipity tends to happen a lot more to people who read a lot of history. And so as I was preparing for the 1776 discussion, quite independent of it, I had begun reading Andrew Roberts' Salisbury Victorian Titan again, because what else does one do during a lockdown? Turns out that Robert Cecil, who later became Salisbury, the great Victorian prime minister, wanted to recognize the Confederacy, despite the fact he was a high church Christian who believed slavery was evil, that it was a doomed institution, and it was wicked, wicked, wicked. But he wanted Britain to recognize the Confederacy in order to cripple the American continent in its growing, proving to me that the issue of slavery 
even as late as the Civil War, and even for brains as giant as Salisbury and as Christian as Salisbury, who recognized its wickedness, remained a very difficult question for statesmen to deal with. Dr. Arn, I believe that was your point. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, even later than that, so William Gladstone, the great liberal politician, and much later, I mean, that's, he's the late 19th century, um, he, he, uh, he inherited slave properties in, in the West Indies, and he, you know, bought and sold some slaves. And, uh, and you know, he was... Gladstone did? Wow. He did, he did yeah. And, uh, and, you know, that, that means that... Uh, what does that mean? That means that slavery is a big story in human history. It's been around always. Uh, like, here's a, an early document in liberalism that people don't quite understand. In the first book of Aristotle's Politics, he talks about slavery. And he says that, uh, uh, it's, you know, like everything in Aristotle, it's a beautiful discussion. He says that uh, the only just slavery would be the natural slave. That is basically means somebody who's incompetent to take care of himself from some disability. In other cases... You have to give them a uh, chance of freedom because most slaves were captured in war, and most of the American slave trade was uh, was admit, was Africans captured in war by their enemies and then sold into the slave trade, and that's the old story. And Aristotle says he doesn't call for that to abolition, but he does say you have to give them a chance for their freedom because it's unjust. And then he says, and this is a great thing. If the shuttle could weave, or the plectrum or pick uh, of a you know playing stringed instrument could strike of itself, then you wouldn't need it. In other words, Aristotle foresees technology, uh, and and you know technology brings its own problems. Just read the papers, right? But uh, uh, my great teacher, my, Matt, and my great teacher Harry Jaffa, he used to say Aristotle was wrong about that. Uh, you could have paid them even back then, but the point is, even in Aristotle, as early as Aristotle, the recognition that it's a wrong because it's a human being and not a dog or a horse goes back that far, and those are the arguments of Abraham Lincoln. And, and why did the simple recognition of that argument by the 1776 Commission? which has at its core Lincoln's principled denunciation of slavery and opposed to it, even a high Christian like Salisbury or Gladstone's acceptance of it, why did that spark this reaction to the 1776 report? Uh, well, that's because of a, of a uh, neuroses we've got. Uh, it, it's called critical race theory, and it's a, a uh, what is it? It's a, a chameleon-like thing. If critical race theory is partly a theory, a principle, a general rule of action, and in that it says that our race is a critical component of our being, of what makes us what we are. And that, that is a, a uh, it's like all materialism, it's like Marx, who's class-based, not race-based. It, 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 it means that we are eternally at war with each other. And the idea that you can use force or comprehensive regulation to change human nature, that's, a, that's an act of despotism. When we uh, come back, we're going to talk about the reaction to this beautifully written, very persuasive report 
with uh, Dean Spaulding, especially, who's been fielding a lot of arrows, he's got his shield up, and why it triggered the left, and especially left-wing historians. Don't go anywhere except over to do it on Twitter or hillsdale.edu and get the report. I don't think the government can reach out and ban it, but they might try. Stay tuned, America. You're in the middle of a non-stop action-packed information blitz. The Hugh Hewitt Show is coming right back. Welcome back, America. It's Hugh Hewitt. The Hillsdale Dialogue is underway. Sponsored by Hillsdale College, hillsdale.edu. Pretty much the citadel of American enlightenment, the lantern of the north, the place you want your child to go to college. And at hillsdale.edu, you will find every online course you need for every homeschooler in America. You will also find the 1776 report from the President's Advisory 1776 Commission, dated January 2021. But we are in 2021, on the 10th day of the Biden administration, and it's been disappeared from government websites, but it continues to exist at hillsdale.edu. Dean Matt Spaulding of the Washington, D.C. program for Hillsdale at the Kirby Center. Can you tell us about the aftermath of the publication of the 1776 report? Well, sure. So back up one uh, one general observation, which was, uh, in hindsight, we have to understand that this report was being prepared in, uh, December in early January. At the same time, there was something parallel going on, uh, which we were not aware of, and I think they were not aware of on the other side as well, which was that the incoming Biden administration were preparing various executive orders to carry out their new policies. Uh, what happened was our report was published, it actually was submitted to the president and came out on January 18th, Martin Luther King Day. President Trump. Which, it was submitted to uh, President Trump. Submitted to President Trump was released, uh, submitted to and released on Martin Luther King Day, which I think is one of the reasons why this stirred up some controversy. And it argued that this great tradition stemming from the Declaration of Equal Rights was the tradition of uh, the founders under, and, in, and in Lincoln, but also all the great reform movements in American history, uh, women's suffrage and, and abolition, but also the early uh, civil rights movement. And we quoted Martin Luther King, Frederick Douglass. Um, that made an argument which turned out to be uh, problematic from the new administration, the Biden administration, policy direction they wanted to go in. In particular, they, wanted to, they were trying to issue an executive order on equity. Uh, their argument was that, in agreement with a lot of other professional historians, that it turns out that America was not about uh, equality in principle, played out over time uh, through a flawed and stained history aspiring to that principle, which was Lincoln and Martin Luther King's argument. Their argument was that America was systemically racist from the beginning. It's, uh, it's so flawed it was not to be uh, taught as anything but flawed. And what we needed was a massive uh, attempt to correct that through policies coming under the guise of equity. The report coming out at the time it did really forces the debate between these two great questions, which is what is the nature of America when it comes to this principle, or central principle of quality? 
Does it mean that all have rights equally? We shouldn't uh, uh, say some have more or less? Or does it mean we should uh, use government policies to distribute benefits and and, uh, enforce outcomes of fairness? Uh, The other thing I think the report did, which uh, drew the the ire, is that we saw that turning point, or at least one of the key turning points, uh, as the question of slavery. We all agree on the the barbaric, barbaric nature of slavery, but the argument for group rights, really begins with John C. Calhoun, the great defender of slavery, who argued that some groups should have rights and others should not have rights. And we tied the rise of this modern argument of group politics and identity politics and critical race theory to uh, the arguments of John C. Calhoun. So these two things now are a complete collision course. I think that report, the strength of the report, the argument, the clarity of the report, really forced their hand They had to uh, immediately abolish it in their executive order uh, to promote racial equity throughout the federal government. Uh, Now, uh, I would like, if I can, ask Dwayne and Adam to go find the Susan Rice quote from two days earlier. We'll get it ready. Let me ask you, um, President Biden is sworn in on the 20th. When does the Biden administration strike down the 1776 commission and what uh, uh, professors of history rallied to the cause of erasing history. The, the, I don't know exactly what time it was, but sometime in the afternoon, in his first dozen or fifteen executive orders, uh, it was abolished um, uh, when they issued their order on executive. So day one, it was so it, it bothered them so much that they had to strike down a federal advisory commission on day one of the presidency. That's right, and the report was immediately removed. At, at noon on the 20th, uh, removed from the uh, from the website. Now, let me play for you, too, and for our audience, uh, Senior Domestic Policy Advisor Susan Bryce, speaking on the equity issue to which Dean Spaulding just referred this week at the White House. We've hit the ground running to embed equity throughout the administration. On day one, the president signed an executive order directing an unprecedented whole-of-government initiative to embed racial equity across federal policies, programs, and institutions. That starts with a review of policies and institutions to redress systemic racism where it exists and to advance equity where we aren't doing enough. Every agency will place equity at the core of their public engagement, their policy design and program delivery, to ensure that government resources are reaching Americans of color and all marginalized communities, rural, urban, disabled, LGBTQ+, religious minorities, and so many others. The president has put equity at the center of his response to the COVID-19 and economic crises. His executive orders signed last week deliver rent relief, student debt reprieve, and emergency food assistance to families across the country helping all Americans, including black and brown families who we know are being hit hardest by this crisis. So I I, I know you two did not know I was going to play that, but I wanted to emphasize, she said day one. So Dean Spaulding, when you said it was prepared, they were unaware of how significant the 1776 report would be as a challenge to their governing principle. So they had to remove it. And and Dr. Ron, have you heard that Susan Rice quote yet? Yeah, I, uh, you know, poor Matthew, he's more patient with this than I am. But we are, of course, bombarded by such things these days. 
and uh, I've grown I've grown a big callus all over my body. <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's uh, see it's uh, just remember about this critical race theory. What it liberates the government to do is to undermine the rule of law, and the rule of law is a simple rule. It just says you got to treat everybody alike and consistently, and also the rulers. And it says that you may not award penalties or inflict punishments on the basis of race, ethnicity, or religion. That has been the law of the land since the correct interpretation of the 14th Amendment in Brown v. Board, and since Bakke in uh, 1979, and it is still the law. What they are proposing is a massively unconstitutional program. Yeah, but also unjust and liberating of the government to do as it pleases. Because just think what an inconvenience it is uh, to a ruler if you have to treat everybody the same. Whereas if you can pick some and favor them and, 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 and see, remember, this is the central evil of slavery. It was that because of their color of their skin, they were treated as property, and yet they were human like the rest of us, see. So, they're, 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 you know, I said at the beginning that there's this theory, but the theory is, it gives rise to a policy, and that's very direct. And it, you know, it, first of all, the, the, the stain or the uh, crime of slavery is to be prosecuted today against people who weren't involved with it, both victim and perpetrator, right? Those people are all dead now. And uh, Lord, and have been for a long time. That's right. And they, you know, see, a better way to think about this history of America, and the only way, the only principled way that can bring us together, is explained most sublimely by Abraham Lincoln. And that is, the Declaration of Independence created a standard maxim for a free society, always to be striven for, never to be perfectly attained, never to be perfectly attained, but also constantly improving our service to that principle. And so instead what we're going to do now is erase all that history and start over on the ground that color is a determinative factor. And that won't end well. That was my mother used to say, this will end in tears. It will end in many lawsuits. But uh, Dean Spaulding, what did the professional historian class do when history was being erased? Well, I I think they were largely in favor of it. the, uh, uh, from the from the new president down, uh, but also in the professional class of historians, uh, this was bad history uh, and full of lies, and it didn't have footnotes, which there will be in a new in a, in a new edition to be printed. Uh, but uh, it was not credible as a result of that. Uh, there's a huge uh, uh, undergirding argument here that has to get rid of this as a public public document. One thing I want to point out real quick is that in that executive order, I would encourage everyone to, to, to look at in which the 1776 commission is abolished. It also creates an equitable, equitable data working group, which they replaces the 1776 commission with an equitable a group to, to advance equity, to, equity uh, to divide Americans by race, ethnicity, gender, disability, demographic variables, to measure advance equity. You know, somebody was thinking about this. I I find this fascinating that somebody was thinking about this during the transition in the middle of a pandemic and an economic crisis 
Somebody was thinking about and preparing an executive order for day one execution to erase the 1776 report and replace it with an equity data commission. Well, and, and behind that, underneath that, is this deep argument about the, the nature of, of America, our, our understanding of ourselves and our purpose, which is this historical question. And the report very strongly uh, emphasizes that we should really try to understand history as it actually happened. What were the facts? How, how can we understand what they were doing and their intent? Um, the, the modern way of looking at history, the, the history that is critical of this, uh, and I think we are critical of, of that history, is, is more of an ideological history, that you, you use history merely as a way to look back, backwards history, to make arguments you want to make to achieve your current policy outcomes. And that argument looks to just the, the, the flaws and the stains of history to advance an ideology, as opposed to looking at history which has flaws and stains, but is also aspirational based on the principles of the founding. So this deep historical argument behind all of this is extremely important as the grounding. And so, yes, they had to remove this. This was in the way. This was the, the marker, if you will, on the ground that had to be removed for them to advance their policy objectives. It's astonishing. It is also the best thing to ever happen to the 1776 report, which will be published by Encounter Books and which is available at hillsdale.edu right now, and which I think will become a seminal text for homeschoolers and serious high schools going forward. More on it after the break. Don't go anywhere. Dr. Larry Arn, President of Hillsdale College, Dean Matt Spaulding, Dean of the Washington Graduate School of Hillsdale College. We'll be right back. This is the Hugh Hewitt Show. Welcome back, America. Hugh Hewitt, the Hillsdale Dialogues, final segment with Dr. Larry Arn, president of Hillsdale College, Dean Matt Spaulding, who helms the D.C. Graduate School of Hillsdale College, both the chairman and the executive director of the 1776 Commission in their other lives, and that's what we've been talking about. And I want to conclude the Hillsdale Dialogue today again by focusing on what the central point of the commission report is, Dr. Arn. Why did it spark such outrage on the left? Well, the central point is the Declaration of Independence, also the central point of America. And the Declaration of Independence sets up a a principle or standard to which we should attempt to conform. And the movement, in the you know, it's a very general movement, and it's all over the academic world now, and it's all over the media, and it's in the big corporations. It's kind of breathtaking. Uh, that movement is to erase all that and start over on a new basis, which in my argument would further convert the government into what it has become, which is a vast engineering project to work upon us. And that means despotism. But they they don't see it that way, of course. What they think is, at last we can right all the wrongs. And uh, that means effectively penalizing people, because we're all guilty now, it says. Silence is guilt. Uh, And we're all guilty. And we all have to go and apologize, right? And, you know, we are all guilty, but we're not guilty before courts like that. Because, you know, before God, we may be guilty, and we are. But before other human beings, we can really only be held accountable for crimes that we willingly commit. 
Now, do you believe, I'll ask you both, I'll start with you, Dean, that the public is aware of the fundamental nature of this argument? I think they are at one level, and they're not quite aware on another level. I think one of the reasons why this um, hit a nerve and had to be uh, abolished is because the arguments of the Declaration and of our founding are, are still the, are the central arguments of, uh, of America, the American story, at the heart of what Americans believe about their country. And you can't attack it directly. Um, and to do so is to question their deepest beliefs. And so that's why a lot of American politics is always a debate about the, 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 the status of those arguments. So I at that level, they do get that. I think we need to have another redouble our efforts to explain the, the meaning of that in today's politics so we don't assume it's mere history, but actually, a, uh, as Lincoln said, an abstract principle applicable to all men in all times that is at the heart of what it means to be an American. And I think that's where the core debate is right now. And on that, the American people, I, I think, have, have not settled this question. Indeed, I would claim uh, they are on the side of the, the founders in the Declaration, which is why they had to get rid of this if they want to advance equity. And I believe that as clarity comes to that central question, the Lincoln argument will win. And so clarity is the enemy of the left, Dr. Arndt. That's why they had to bury the report. That's my view. They had to bury it. What do you think? Well, you know, the great thing about history is that it's fixed. And, you know, they, by the way, in the 1619 report, they make claims that ring of 1984 about that, right? That we are going to give a a new history in order to have an effect on the present. And that's what Big Brother does in 1984. Whereas, in fact, if you go look, you know, some very distinguished historians have criticized us, and yet they are very distinguished, and they've criticized the 1619 report. And here's what Gordon Wood, you know, the dean of them all, what he says. He says, no colonist said in the record, no colonist, not just no leader, no colonist said in the record that the purpose of founding America was to preserve slavery. Well, now, that's either a fact or it isn't, and that can be verified. Go look, right? And that means that the arguments about history should be easier to settle than the arguments about the present, and that they do also indicate things about the argument for the present. And so the recovery of the history, the recovery of the meaning of our country and its history is the path out of this potentially fatal mess into which we've fallen. And a last word, is that not how Lincoln, I think it is how Lincoln waged the Civil War, by reference to that, that fact of history? There's no greater American, there's no greater person, who, you know, whoever lived, except Jesus, there's no greater one than Abraham Lincoln. And what he did was he lived his life under a stress of soul to recover the argument of the, the high and promise of the arguments of the American Revolution and make them control in this issue of slavery. And the tragedy of Lincoln is that he thought up wonderful things, and by the way, the founder of Hillsdale College helped him do it, that would uh, abolish slavery by steady steps and without war. And then the war came, our worst war, and it was his sorry plight to have to see us through that. But part of the weapon, the most important weapon he used, 
was his eloquence in explaining what all this was about. And that is why you need to go to hillsdale.edu and download the 1776 report. And when the book comes out with the footnotes, get it. Dean Matt Spaulding, President Larry Arn of Hillsdale College, hillsdale.edu. Thank you. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Harley. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, Dwayne. Thanks to everyone listening. I'll be back Monday on the next Hugh Hewitt Show. When you absolutely, positively need the truth, this is where you turn. This is the Hugh Hewitt Show.